0: Good morning. Hope y'all are doing well. My name is Jeff Nine. Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet, I'm one of the pastors here uh, and, uh, and would love, love to meet you. So if you're a guest, uh, I hope you feel welcomed here. Uh, this, is a, this is a space. Maybe you're, maybe you're kicking the tires either on this church or kicking the f- tires on church in general or the Christian faith, and, uh, and we're glad you're here. And then I just want to say specifically, if you're not a Christian here in the room, I just want to say thank you for being here. It's a, it's a really brave thing to not believe necessarily all the things that, that, that church often believes and then walk into a room full of people that are singing things that may seem unfamiliar to you. Uh, and It's a brave thing for you to be here. And I just want to acknowledge that, and I want to say thank you for being here. Uh, it would be our privilege to get to know you, uh, to, to, to to answer any questions you have. Guys, there are no questions ever off limits. Any questions you have, any challenges you feel, uh, maybe it's, maybe it's just doubts that you're carrying, we'd love to talk to you about it. Um, and so I, I hope that I hope that we could have some conversations. We'll have some people up at the front afterwards that would love to talk with you. Uh, hey, this morning, uh, as Chad mentioned, we're we're starting our membership renewal process. This is something we do every single year. Uh, if if you became a member in the last six months uh, uh, this year, and you're like, I have to renew again. No, actually, you you're you're in for the next year. Uh, but for what we want is, as a church, we want membership to actually be a live, active thing that we're doing together. And we're going to talk a little bit about why. We're going to talk a little bit about why here, uh, and and I hope that this is helpful um, for us. Because there's a beautiful vision for what the church ought to be. And there's a beautiful vision of what God calls us to in his scriptures. And that's what we as a church want to move towards. Frontline Yukon wants to move towards this vision that John lays out in Second John. So I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to pray for me uh, because what we need is we need God through his Holy Spirit to not just speak to us so that we come to understanding of what it means to be a united uh, body of Christ, but we need his grace to actually be that thing. So let's pray. God, would you not just speak to us this morning, but would you form us this morning? Would you not just help us come to an understanding of your grace, but actually an experience of your grace? uh would would you not uh w- would you not just call us to the elusive goal of unity and then leave us alone but god christ would you unify us and would you work in us i pray in jesus name amen amen it's not a stretch to say that this is the most interconnected generation of all human civilization right i mean what did people do before zoom and facetime huh like, I, I don't even know how we got, got, got it wrong. I don't know how we, uh, how we have survived so long with, uh, without social media and Reddit. Um, joking, those things have become a bane uh, to many of our existences. And yet, here's the thing. These are tools that have uh, enabled us to connect over great distances in ways that we've never thought possible. We've met friends uh, online that we've never met in person. We are connected in ways through uh, country clubs, fitness clubs, Facebook groups. I was at the mall yesterday, and they tried to get me to join some rewards card as a member. I don't even know what that community looks like. But talk about interconnected. We're deeply, deeply interconnected. And yet, has there ever been a generation more alone? Sociologically, there's been lots of studies showing that the more interconnected we have become, the more lonely we've become. So surely there is something that we are needed that's much deeper. If we were to look at most modern communities, broadly speaking, I think there are four kind of markers that would define what they often look like. The, The first would be individualism individualism, ultimately many of the times that we see membership even talked about culturally, or we talk about being a member in something, it really is about me as an individual coming and joining this collaborative thing as long as it suits me. In other words, I'm in the community simply for me. It's actually self-centered. It's it's how can I as an individual gain here, which which leads to the second. These, These communities are defined not just by individualism, but by consumerism that ultimately I'm engaging in a community for what it gives me. I'll give you what you're asking so that I can get your goods. I want to barter in order to gain some advantage. I'm here, I'm here in a community simply as a consumer. Well, it doesn't take long for consumerism to turn into cynicism, does it? Because how many times can we be let down before we begin to treat the whole thing like a fraud? So now we engage in communities, sort of, but we engage it through this lens of cynicism. We're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. We're just waiting for somebody to offend us and push us away, which then sends us on a search for an idealistic community. It it may not be real. It may not even be possible. But our cynicism actually drives us to an idealism in which we step into a community hoping for the best, and as soon as it fails to meet our ideals, we're out the door. That, Those four things mark community in the modern age. But at the center of all four of them is the idea of distrust. That ultimately we are moving towards one another because we know we need something from one another. We, we feel deeply this need for connection, this need for community, and yet we don't trust anybody Now, I'm, I'm right there with you. It feels like we've been given reasons not to trust, right? We've seen whole social media movements built around the idea that we can't trust the person around us or next to us. So distrust brings us into a community, but we keep everybody at arm's length because we don't trust them to get closer. But eventually, what does it lead to? It just simply leads to disunity. Eventually, I'm out the door. Now, the Bible calls us to something radically different. The Bible fundamentally calls us to community, and it's fascinating that so many of Scripture's commands to us as believers are actually communal commands. They're not just given to individuals. They're actually given to a community. This entire book of 2 John is written to the elect lady and her children, which is simply a a way of talking about a local church and the members that comprise it. But what John is saying is he's not saying to individual members in there, hey, you have this command, and you have this command, and you have this command. He gives a collaborative communal command to the entire church. Why are we looking at 2 John this morning? I mean, look, it's really short. Surely it doesn't have a lot to say. There's nothing complex. This is what's beautiful about this book. It's written by one of the apostles, to a local church, and it is clear and simple, but it is profound in what it calls us to. It is clear, it is simple, but it is profound, and it speaks with a powerful prophetic authority that we here at Frontline Yukon right now on June 6th need to hear. I want us to go through this book as the Apostle John is speaking, not to the church generally, to this church. Let's hear what John says to Frontline Yukon. Look at the first four verses of the Second John. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of, of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace Mercy and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. What John's going to call us to in this this book is something that's way more deep and profound than individualism, consumerism, cynicism, and idealism. He's going to call us as a church to truth, to love, to unity, and to grace. To truth, to love, to love to unity and grace. So let's talk first of what what does it look like for a church, our church, Frontline Yukon, to be marked by truth. Did you see how many times he uses the word truth in those first four verses? Like five times. Truth is at the center of what John is calling us towards. And here's the simple reason. We live in a day like his day in which truth is contested. All I have to do is bring up my news sources, my social media feeds, and I'm going to get inundated with a bunch of truth claims. What's true? What's real? What's not true? What's not real? Read, read the op-eds in the New York Times and the Washington Post, and, and what's fascinating is all the different claims of what's true and what's not true, and what's the defining paradigm for our age, and all of this world, there's a swirl of claims, and here's the question we're left asking, what is truth? Well, the world broadly has given up on the idea because it can't define which one's true. So we start to refer to things as your truth and my truth. Like what? Like your gravity and my gravity? I, I mean, what are we talking about? What, what is truth if it's absolutely relativized and actually there's no claim on anything? John is calling us here that in an age in which truth is contested, he's calling us to what Scripture says is that there is truth and it is declared by God in his word for us today. This is why as a church we are a Bible-honoring church, because we recognize that the Bible is our authority. It declares what is true that cuts through the competing voices in our day. Look at, look at verses 7 through 11 in Second John. He says this, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Now just real quick note so we don't misread this. When he talks about not welcoming into their house, he's not talking about when somebody walks to your doorstep, knocks on your door, and wants to talk. Like, oh, no, wrong political party. Oh, no, wrong religion. Oh, no, wrong. Let's push them away. That's not what this is getting at. This is not a rejection of gospel hospitality. Remember the imagery of the lady and her children. The idea is don't welcome those that are speaking falsehood into the house, which is the house of God. As in, don't allow a heretic to preach here. So I'm going to try not to preach heresy or else... Puckett's going to get rid of me. He's saying, don't, don't welcome in false teachers because truth matters. You see, if, if we are to be anything as a church, we must be a people of the truth, of the truth, of what the Bible declares to be Real. We care as a church about doctrine. We care about right beliefs, about who God is, about what creation is, about how God has come to this world to redeem and rescue. We teach about what the Bible says about sin and repentance and how God's grace comes to us in our need. We're going to teach those truths over and over again. And as a church, we value doctrine, as does John, but he's not talking about doctrine as a mere intellectual exercise, He's not saying, I want you as a a community of faith to be able to pass a theology test. And a lot of you go, whew. But rather that we might know truth and live in truth to actually embody these realities. That we as a church are called to know the truth, but to love the truth and live out the truth among ourselves and among our community. The Bible is interested not just in doctrine of what we know, but of right living as well that comes out of right doctrine. You see, seeing what is true brings us face to face with God as he is. But when we see him as he is, there's one very clear thing we cannot get around seeing, and that is his love. So God is a God of truth, yes, but he is a God of love. Look at verses 5 and 6. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard it from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. What John is getting at is if truth brings us to an understanding of God as love and we are called to be like God, then we are called to what? We're called to love. Now, in our day and age, just as truth has been kind of washed away, so has love. We use the word love in our culture, but it doesn't sound like love. We use love to talk about attraction or infatuation fleeting feelings, emotional connections that may be here today and gone tomorrow. We talk about love, but, but, I, but, but, I, but I often wonder if we really understand what we're talking about. Because in our culture, in our day, love is seen as something that's centered on the self. I love you, not because of I actually care about you, but I love you so that you'll give me something in return. I use my love to barter in exchange with your love. And when you stop giving me love, I've got an excuse to peace out. That's not remotely what the Scriptures talk about, is it? That the Bible calls us to a radical love of the other that looks like the love that God has for us. Scripture is very clear. It does not say God loved us because we were cute, cuddly, and liked him back. It did not say God loved you because you were friendly to him. He's just returning the favor. No, it says that God loved you when you were his enemy. Right? When you were his enemy, when you were opposed to him, when you wounded him, when you crushed him, when you took advantage of him, he loved you. And the scriptures say, hey, let's love like that. Let's love like that. Let's pursue one another like that. Let's extend to others the love that God has given to us. Not because they deserve it. Not because they've earned it. But because that's how God loves. As a people, we are called to truth. And we are called to love. So what happens what happens if a, if, if a church begins to love like this? Well, what does it look like for a local church to pursue truth and begin to love like this? It leads to unity, does it not? When I love like this, we are drawn towards one another and unified. Look, look at verse 1 and verse 13. It's interesting the way he frames this entire book. Verse 1, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. And then look at verse 13, the children of your elect sister greet you. What stands out in this? What stands out in this? He refers to a group of believers as an individual. He talks about the elect lady and her children as a way of saying, I'm speaking to the the local church as a unit. I'm speaking to you collectively. And then he says, hey, I'm writing from one of those other local churches. You see this? So what we are is we are unified. Yes, we're unified generally to one another as believers, as we're united to Christ. But we are actually united as a local congregation of believers as we pursue truth and love. Culturally right now, we live in a day in which it seems like the only thing that unites us are are these kinds of individualized preferences. We're united around sexual identity and expression. We're united around political parties. Heck, we're united by conspiracy theories. There are all these things that are pulling us together that won't ever keep us together, will they? that our culture talks about unity, but it has no idea what it even means. Because as soon as I find another reason that separates us, I'll disunify. If unity is built honestly around what I think is in it for me, it's not long before I bounce. If I see unity as I'm I'm bringing my autonomous self next to your autonomous self and we're just kind of uh, individuals that are in in proximity to one another but we're not actually towards one another, it's not going to last. Because conflict is going to happen, right? Can I get an amen? Conflict's going to happen. And if that's the way we're approaching community, eventually we're done, we're gone, we're out. That person offended me, that person hurt me. Guys, can we just own for just a second that right now in our day and age, tribalism is coming after the church? We got tribes for this, tribes for that. And there are forces right now on the ground in Yukon trying to pull us apart culturally. I get on Facebook and I'm drawn in with messages that should tell me why I should pull away from a, another believer. I've, I, 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 in, I so value my tribe that I stop associating with people that have differences of opinion with me. And it's wrecking the church. It's wrecking the church. There's a beautiful unity that, that God brings us uh, in. in uh, as Christ works in us, he brings us together as one. And this is why the, the, the metaphor of the body of Christ is so important. Scripture talks about the church as the body of Christ. Now, if you're new to church, that may seem kind of weird. But what it's, what it's essentially saying is that as we are connected to Jesus, we're therefore connected to one another and we need one another. I need those of you in this room that have different opinions than me. I need those of you in the room that have different personalities than me. I can't see everything clearly. I need you to bring your experience and I need you to bring your giftings. And I'm going to try to bring mine. I don't have very many, but I'm going to try to bring mine and we're going to we're going to together be able to function together and serve one another as one. What happens if I chop my arm off? Well, my arm's dead. And I'm hurt. Guys, if this metaphor is real, then for us to push away a member of our church is both to hurt them and to hurt us. If I peel out from the church because of offense or it doesn't line up with my tribe or I've got different commitments and I'm out, then all of a sudden I'm hurt and the body I left is hurt. Unity is hard, but it is critical and it is vital. And it is not united around other tribes. We are united around one truth, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ that he came for us. I'm not united around political party. I'm not united around economic policy. I'm not united around ethnic and cultural uniformity. I'm united by Jesus It is the good news that Jesus came for us to rescue us from our sin, to make us whole. It is as we are united to that Jesus that we are united to one another, bringing all our diverse gifts, all our diverse backgrounds, all our diverse cultural influences, all of it come together that we might be one, that we might be a people of truth, that we might be a people of love, and that we might be a people of unity. So if we are to be marked by those three things. To be marked as a people. By truth. To be marked by love. And to be marked by unity. If we're left to somehow try to conjure that up on our own. Let me just tell you. Let you in on a little secret. We gonna fail. <laughs> None of us are smart enough. Wise enough. Strong enough. To pull that off. We need the grace of our God. Look at verse three. Grace, mercy, and peace, listen to this, will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. He didn't say that grace is available for a small monthly installment in 1999. He didn't say grace is there like a, a net underneath a trapeze artist to catch us if we fall. He's saying grace will be yours. And the only way we will be these things as a community is because of his grace. It is God's work among us that makes us a people of truth. It is God's work among us that makes us a people of love. It is God's work among us that makes us a people that are united. We must be marked by truth, love, and and, uh, unity. But we also must be a people marked by grace, You see, the church is the product of God's grace. But listen, it isn't only that the church is created by God's grace. Listen, church membership is actually a grace up from God for us. Church membership is actually a grace of God for us. Active participation, faithful participation in a local group of believers, in a local community of believers, is a way that God extends his grace to us. We can say, well, I'm a part of the church generally. I'm just a part of the the universal church of of Jesus. My question on that is, how are you actually going to carry these things out if you're not actually known by a community of believers and actually committed to them? How are you actually going to love one another if there's no one another around you that you have to love even when it gets hard? How is it that we are to be a people of truth if, if all I can do is jump in and out of different uh, teachers or groups or Facebook groups to try to get different, uh, different intakes? That, that what, the, what the Bible describes here as the church, John is not talking just generally to the church, he's talking to a local congregation of believers. This grace shows up, I think, in two ways. The first is the grace of God is given to us through church membership in the realm of formation. It forms us to look more like Jesus. Hey, let's just be honest. Church, being committed to a local church is hard. I remember sitting down with uh, a few members in this church uh, a number of years ago, and I was talking to them, and I said, Hey, one thing I can promise you as a pastor in this church, I'm going to let you down. And we were on a Zoom call about six months ago, and that person said, hey, you remember when you made that promise? I said, yeah. She goes, you fulfilled it. She said that out of love. But she also didn't peace out because it got hard. Like, part of us being formed to look like Jesus is being put in situations where all of a sudden I have to ask, is the grace of God enough to keep this relationship together? That how do I learn how to love like God when God was rejected by us if every time I'm rejected, I'm just hitting the eject button? That I'm actually formed as a disciple of Jesus having to learn how to love like Jesus when I'm in the trenches of local relationships. I need... I need those of you in the room that see my blind spots to call them out. But if I'm not known by a local group of believers, nobody's there to call my blind spots. And I've got them. And you've got them. And we need the church around us to where we are known and where we are committed to learn to walk like Jesus. Mark Sayers says it this way. In an age that encourages maximum autonomy and the transgressing of limitations, perhaps we need to see the institution of church as a spiritual discipline. We get the idea that making making the choice to wake up early and read our Bibles or to commit to regularly giving away our money to a charity or to fast may not always be pleasurable, but in the discipline of these things, It is in the discipline of these things that we become more Christ-like. Yet we expect church to always be pleasurable, enriching, and exciting. Maybe the limitations of church, the discipline of regular attendance, the commitment it requires also teaches us to be Christ-like. Maybe we need to reimagine church in our minds as a spiritual discipline, which teaches us the value of delayed gratification, of personally investing in change, and becoming more like Jesus, that seems worthwhile to me. That seems worthwhile. This is why, as a church, we take membership. So, so, so we put so much emphasis on church membership because I think this only happens when a local church's uh, members of a local church are committed to one another, and then they pursue these things together. But here's my question, what happens if as a church we live like this? What happens if, is, if, if as a church we are marked by truth, we're marked by love, we're marked by unity, and we're marked by grace? We see the grace of God in church membership as it plays out as we become a counter-cultural witness to the world around us. Look, if we love like this, you can bet that the city of Yukon's gonna take notice. If we stay unified when all of these tribal pressures are pushing us apart, if we were to stay unified in the midst of that because of the gospel, the city's gonna notice. Your neighbors are gonna notice. They're gonna be able to see a lived out gospel that they might not be willing to listen to in any other context. That we actually, as a people, begin to proclaim. The gospel of grace by the way that we live our lives. When we no longer let these forces pull us apart, but rather we pursue truth, love, unity, and grace, the world will see. The world will see. So, how do we do this? We move towards one another. We move towards one another. When it's comfortable, okay, yeah, great. What about when it's uncomfortable? We move towards one another. When we hurt one another, we move towards one another. When we're hurt, we move towards one another. That we actually come together. So this is why community group matters so much. If you're not a community group, we'd love to connect you to one. This is why we take membership so seriously. Like we want to be committed members. We don't, we're not interested in a membership database with a list of names. We're actually interested in a community of truth, love, unity, and grace. That's what we're trying to, to see. And then as we move towards one another, we get to pursue the way of Jesus together. We get to actually live out what John calls us to in this book together. But in all of that we're in desperate need of God's grace. We're in desperate need of the free gift that he gives to us, not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. So if you're not a Christian here this morning, I'm really glad you're here. I think I said that a while ago and I would love we'd love to talk to you. But what you need is not us. What you need is God. What you need is not what we offer. What you need is what Jesus offers you. But, you're going to find Jesus meets you through the people of grace that He's rescued, and so if you're not a Christian, we'd love to invite you to to participate with us, to engage with us, to ask questions with us. But my prayer, you're not going to see it perfectly. But my prayer is that you're going to see these things mark this community, and I want you to recognize that if as that happens, it only happens because. The God who is truth, the God who is love, the God who is one is a God who gives grace to this community to pursue these things. If you are a Christian, I'm going to ask you to commit to a local church. It may not be this one. Maybe you're not committed to a local church and you're, you're in here kicking the tires on this one or you're exploring. Um, I'm just going to ask you this. There are a lot of great churches around us. It doesn't have to be here. I'll even help you connect to a, another local church that's near you or connected to you but I want to ask you this, commit to a local body of believers somewhere. Don't act like you're connected when you're not. You need to be in a place where you are known and where you can know others. So like I said, if that's not this church, I'd love to help you connect to a a church that it is. But if it is this church, if God has called you to commit to this church, can I just ask you, can we double down as a church to be like this? We're not there perfectly and we're never going to be there perfectly. But this is something I want us to pursue right here at Frontline Yukon. I want us to seek to be a community that's marked by by truth. I want the world to look in and see that we are a community marked by love. I want to be a countercultural witness to the world that as we're a community that we are marked by unity. And I want the world around to recognize that it's not our strength or our wisdom that fuels this thing, but we are marked by the grace of God himself.